Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams starts a new series entitled Hoodwinked. The devil is a liar, manipulator, and deceiver, and so often we buy into his schemes. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we've been given the authority to stand up against the enemy. What is it in your life you need to begin standing up for? I want to talk to you. We're going to start a new um, message series this week. I want to tell you, when we do these series, I don't want you to think that I'm just trying to fill up a calendar. I pray over these things. I mean, I anguish over these series because I, 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 I don't want us to get into something for three weeks, five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is, and it be, not be what God wants us to be doing. And so I, I pray hard and I ask God. And, and on Monday, I was in my quiet time Monday morning just praying. And I believe that God put something on my heart that I need to share with you. It's out of Genesis chapter 25. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to look at this for the next three weeks. Um, and, and I believe it'll help you. I believe it'll help me as we go through these things and begin to look at them. Um, the series, the name of the series is Hoodwinked. And I'll explain more about that to you in just a moment. But if you will, open your Bibles to Genesis 25. Begin in verse 21, and we're going to read down through 26. Are you glad to be here today? Are you excited? This, this is it's an awesome day. The sun is shining. The air conditioning is working better than it did last week. I mean, life is good. All right. So uh, Genesis 25, 19 through 26. It says, This is the account of Abraham, Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, this, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered her prayer, his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each within each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now listen to this. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. I don't know. That must have been like gave birth to a squirrel or something. That's just weird. (laughs) So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I, I'm just excited this morning about your word. And, and I just pray, God, that it would, um, it would find good soil in our hearts today, God. Produce a, a harvest out of our lives, God. The fruit of the kingdom of God out of our lives, Father. It would be planted and we would grow. God, I pray that you would peel back any misconceptions we have about you, any misconceptions we have about ourselves, any deceptions, God, that are in our lives, whether it's how we deal with ourselves, deal with others, how others are dealing with us. God, I pray that you would remove the the blinders, that we could see clearly the truth. I just have your way here, Lord. There are people here who need to hear your word, not what I have to say, God but your truth. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you, well, first of all, let me tell you this. The, the word hoodwinked, 
um, I, was, I was praying and I read this, and, and the, Jacob, uh, as we'll see in a little bit, he was known for being a deceiver. I mean, he deceived people all of his life. And I was reading this, I was thinking about deception, and I thought, you know, let me start studying this. And I, and I go, and, and I'm, I'm kind of a dork because I go and I do a lot of word searches and stuff, and I love to look up the history of words. Well, I was looking at deception, and I saw a synonym for deception was hoodwink. And I was like, you know, I've always heard that. Where did that come from? And so I went back, and I, I did a little Google on hoodwink origin, and, and I found out that in the 1500s, uh, something like that, the word wink didn't mean a quick blinking of your eyes. What it actually meant was simply to close your eyes. It meant just to shut your eyes. And the people in that day wore hoods a lot. They, they, they'd wear hoods. And so what would happen is when someone would come up and rob them, they would come up, pull the hood over their eyes, basically closing their eyes, blinding them, and then they would take their possessions. So that's where the word hoodwink came from. As I began to think about that, I thought about this. How much is that like the devil? How much is that like people that we run into to pull the wool, so to speak, over our eyes, to pull the hood over our eyes, rob us blind, and then we don't even realize it? I thought about this. How many of us today sitting in this place, not to mention the thousands that are out in the, in, and about today, are going through life absolutely deceived? That the enemy has come in and is, has deceived them and is robbing them blind. I mean, taking everything they've got, destroying homes, destroying marriages, taking children, doing all of these things, and we're sitting here not realizing that the whole thing is a deception. And so that's where this whole thought of hoodwink comes from, that we as a church, as, as, as um, the Christian body, as people of God, have been deceived in so many ways. I'm sure some of you have been stolen from. Is there anybody in here who has never had anything stolen from you? Because you're probably deceived. You probably have and just don't realize it. But, but I have. And, and one time I was in Augusta. I was playing in a summer baseball league in college because I wasn't good enough to go to any of the good baseball leagues. So I went to the Scrub League, which was in Augusta, Georgia. And so I went up there and I was riding. And this guy who was living in Statesboro was also playing in this league. And so we go and we're, we're going to Augusta. And he asked if he could catch a ride, didn't have a car or gas money, anything like that. I was like, sure, man, I got to go anyway. Come on, ride with me. Well, you ever been around somebody and, and your first impression is just, man, they're a little shady. I don't know about that. I, not real sh- I can't put my finger on it, but there's something mm, I don't know about this guy. And so we're riding, we're going along. And, and one day after practice, he says, hey, man, I am hungry. I'm about to starve. Do you mind pulling over here at the grocery store and let me run in and get me something to eat? And I'm like, no, that's cool. Man. I'll pull over. So I pull over. He's like, just wait right here in the fire lane. I'll only be a minute. And so I go and I'm like, all right, whatever. And I'm sitting there naive as I could be, you know, and I'm sitting there and, and I look and he kind of comes out walking kind of funny, but kind of fast. And he's looking like this and he gets in and he doesn't have anything in his hands. His hands were empty. And I said, Where's the food? I thought you were going in to get some food. He had on jogging pants. He reaches down in his jogging pants and pulls out the longest thing of sandwich meat I've ever seen in my life. And, at, and it, the first thing I thought was gross. And then the next thing I thought was, this guy has stolen sandwich meat. And so he gets, I'm like, dude, you stole that. He's like, yeah. 
And I was like, what, what do you think? He's like, I didn't have any money. I was like, I would have given you money. And so he's like, just go. And so I'm driving off. I'm like, I'm an accomplice to theft. You know, and I know we got a state patrol. Don't, please don't arrest me. It was just sandwich meat. But I hope like there's some rule that you can't arrest somebody for stealing sandwich meat after a certain amount of time. But he, he gets in the car and he starts eating the sandwich meat. And he's like, do you want some? And I'm like, no, I don't want any of your sandwich meat. First of all, it's, so, it's stolen. Second of all, you just pulled it out of your pants. No, I don't want that. And I'm riding along thinking, I have been an accomplice to, to theft. If I get, I mean, I'm looking in the mirror, and the, you know, and, and thinking somebody's coming to arrest us over this sandwich meat. And so we leave, and, and, and it was, it's funny now, but man, it freaked me out because I'm sitting there watching this guy steal from these people. And worse than that is when we have something stolen from us, right? We have something stolen from us. I remember I was in a gym one time, um, and this guy, I, I didn't even think about it until after it happened, but I took off um, my clothes, put on my gym clothes, stuffed them in the locker, and I noticed this guy had been hanging around for a while, kind of just hanging around, checking things out. I'm like, what's going on? What, what's he doing? Well, I just stuffed my clothes in there and leave. I come back, I had $40 and a watch gone. I was like, what? And then it hit me. I was like, it was that guy. It was him. And I mean, this does not sound like a real Christian thing to say, but I wanted to slam his head into the locker. I was like, if I could get my hand, I'd just slam him right there. You know, and it made me furious. We were living in Waynesboro one time for a while. And, and um, it, don't go there. It's not, you don't want to live in Waynesboro. But we were living in Waynesboro and, and we're there. And, um, and I had about $500 worth of tools in the back of my truck. And I was working construction at the time. Woke up the next morning, go out there, get in my truck, get to the job site, no tools. And man, I was furious. I was so angry that somebody would pull into my driveway and take the tools out of the back of my truck and just like they're theirs. And so I went to the sheriff and, and somebody at the sheriff's department. I was like, listen, man, this guy, he came and he stole, you know, stuff out of the back of my truck. I don't know who it was. I think I saw this car last night, but I don't know if it was them. And basically he told me, listen, next time, if it happens again, just do what you got to do. He's like, if you catch them, basically he told me to shoot them and kill them. And I was like, what? Well, you're telling me, aren't you like the, the police? You shouldn't be telling me to shoot people, right? But they didn't do anything. But I was furious. And I think about how furious we get when somebody takes something from us. But here's the deception is that we don't even realize that the devil is robbing us every day of our lives. That he is taking things from us, our, our, the, the fruit of our lives, the joy and the peace and the patience and kindness and goodness, all of these things. And he's robbing us and we just go, okay. We don't stand up and say enough is enough. See, Jesus Christ died so that you could have those things. He died so that you could have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generosity, all those things. That is what he wants for you. And he died for you. But the devil longs to come and take what is yours. And more times than not, we just hand it over. See, the Bible says that when, when the demons, when the devil, when they think of the name of God, they tremble. They tremble at the name of God. We don't realize the authority that we have as the children of God. God has given us the right as his children, not that everything always goes perfect, but that we have the ability to have that peace and patience, to have those kinds of things, not to live in fear all the time, not to live as though we're a rubber band about to pop. God's desire is that we would be able to live with the fruit of the Spirit in our life. That's what he wants. That in every circumstance, every situation, that God would be able to reign in our life 
and give us peace. See, we live hoodwinked. We live deceived because we don't realize that one thing, what the devil's doing, we don't also realize what God desires to do. You know the purpose of God for our lives has really never changed? You remember when God made everybody and, and he breathed life into dust, which is pretty cool if you think about it, and, and, and he makes um, Adam and he makes Eve, and then he tells them what? He puts them together, says, now you're one flesh, and he says, be fruitful and yeah, there you go. Multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Isaiah 45 says that God created the heavens and the earth, and his desire was that they would not be empty. See, God's plans never change. His desire is that we multiply and fill the earth. I'm not talking about just reproduction of, in physical ways. I'm talking about spiritually. God's desire is that you and I would multiply ourselves for the kingdom of God that we would begin to take back what the devil has stolen. See, there are thousands of lives around us right now that are in despair, that are in poverty, that are hurting, that don't know where they're going to get their next meal. There are people that are hurting right now, and they need to know the hope of Jesus Christ. He wants us to go into the dark places and bring light. He wants us to shine his light for this earth, for the people in this world to see him clearly. And some of us today are walking around in this cloud of darkness, and God's desire is that he would shine light upon that. But here's where the devil's deceived us. He's deceived us to think that this life, this life is about us and not about sharing him with everybody we come into contact with. And this is an amazing thing. That starts so early in life. I see a couple of you holding babies in here today. It is amazing, is it not, how quick you see this selfish desire rise up in people. Is it not? I mean, you take the first words a baby learns is either like, no, because they don't want to do what you say, or like, me, 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 me. And if they're like Jackson, they never quit saying that. They say it like till they're four. But I was in, in Snooky's the other day, imagine that. And I was there, and um, I, was, I was talking to Jackson, and Jackson's running around, and, and he comes up, and every word out of his mouth for like 15 minutes was, I want. I want, I want, I want, I want. You ever been around people like that? I want, I want. If you want to shut me down real quick, start a conversation with, I want. You know, I mean, it just, I'm just like, Ugh. you get tired of hearing, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And, and Jackson comes up and he's going, Daddy, I want, I want, I want bubble gum. I want this, I want that, I want this. And so I just grabbed him, just messing with him. I grabbed his arms and I looked at him. I said, I want, I want, I want. Jackson, what about my needs? <laughs> like that. And he kind of looks at me. Like I had lost my mind. He looks at me and then he goes, <laughs> he just cracks up. He thought that was the funniest thing. But that is so true. And I mean, when we look at this scripture in Genesis 25, verse 26, it says, after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And what we see begin to happen is, is as soon as Jacob's born, Jacob, by the way, means basically deceiver or manipulator. How would you, I mean, that's some parental love, right? Your, your kid's born and you name him deceiver. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't get that. But anyway, they name him that because he was grasping the heel, and symbolically that meant to deceive. And what's amazing to me is when we look at the life of Jacob, what we see early on is he's already trying to pull himself ahead of somebody else, right? He's trying to pull his brother back to get himself ahead. And we're so blind to this that, that we think that that is the, actually the way to a blessed life. That if we will pull others down so that I can rise up, it's going to make us happy. And the problem with that is it never works. 
Why do you think we live in the most prosperous nation in the world and everybody's so stinking miserable? Because we're looking out for us. And when you begin to look out for other people, you start seeing that, man, my life's a whole lot happier. But when we're always worried about ourselves, man, it is, it's a miserable ride because you don't always get what you want. And so we end up in this place of being absolutely miserable because we're seeking our own lives. We're, we're so hoodwinked to believe that it's all about us. And what it ends up doing is it ends up taking all of our resources. See, to live for you requires everything that you absolutely have. You, you, you spend all your time. Where, I mean, think about where your thoughts go. Your, 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 where your emotions go. See, some of us are absolutely physically exhausted, and it's not because you're working so hard. It's because emotionally you are a wreck. And when, you are, when you're not emotionally whole, it, it takes a toll on you physically. It will wear you down. I'm telling you, it will wear you down. And because we're such an emotional wreck, some of us are absolutely physically exhausted. Think about your money. Some of us are, are scrounging for every penny to try to make it. Think about all of the things, the resources that you have, your time. You know, one of the things I think about is this. How many people pour every resource they have into trying to make little Johnny the next superstar baseball player? You know what I'm talking about? And it's a temptation for me, too, because I love sports, and, man, I want my kids to be good at sports. And, and, but, but you know the thing I recognize is if I would take half the resources I take to pour into their lives to become a man of God— Instead of trying to do everything I can to try to make them something, try to live my life through them, then how much better off would they be? Think about if we spent the time and the money pouring our kids, pouring God into our kids, that we spend on athletics and school, how much better off would they be? We will make sure that these children do not miss ball practice, but if the Bible study gets cut out at night, then, oh well. Is that not the truth? I mean, I'm guilty, right? It's the society we live in. If you're going to be normal in the world's eyes today, then you're going to have to live a life that is absolutely crazy. How many of you love these little things? Everybody like, I love like the little bungee cord things because you can strap stuff down with them. You can hold, you can tie a three-year-old up with these things. Absolutely amazing. I mean, you need a little break. You just wrap them up a couple of times with one of these things, put them in the corner. You don't ever hear anything out of them for a while. And, and you know, you have to put the thing over their mouth too. But, but you just don't hear anything out of them. And, 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 and we had a friend one time who, um, he was getting ready to go on a hunting or fishing trip. And um, knowing my buddy, um, he, he, was, he was hooking a cooler onto his truck. And he hooked this thing on one side. And he went to pull it. And the cooler was big. And so the thing wouldn't stretch. And, and it just came unloose. Hits him right in the eyeball. I mean, big eye, big black eye. I mean, not, knowing my buddy, he had Sprite and Diet Coke in the cooler. I'm sure that was all that was in there. But it comes on and pops him right in the eye. And, and, and our lives are like that sometimes. We get so stretched. I mean, we stretch it out to the max. And then finally something gives loose and bam, it smacks us in the eye. I want to read this scripture to you. It's out of Leviticus chapter nine, 19. I'm sorry. Leviticus Well, it's in here. There it is. Leviticus 19, 9, and 10. Listen to this. It says, When you reap the harvest of your land, 
Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord, your God. God's telling them, listen, when you're, when you're gathering in your resources, when you're taking what's yours, what, the resources that I've given you, that I've blessed you with, don't go all the way to the edges. Leave a little room around the edges. When, you, when you're picking your grapes, listen, don't, don't pick all the grapes. Leave some of the grapes for the poor. Leave some of, the, some of your resources there. What God's telling us is leave a little bit of room around the edges. Leave a little bit of cushion there so that other people can be blessed so that other people can be taken care of. But you know what? We live our lives like this, don't we? So that the next little thing that comes along, pow! See, when our kids have a meltdown, we have a meltdown because we're already on the verge of insanity, right? So that we're like this, and they're like, I want, I want, I want. We're like, shut up! <laughs> or is that not true? Or financially, we're like this, so that when the car breaks down, we, what, we can't do anything. Because we're living to the very edge of our field in everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we do, our time. Listen, we don't have time to be patient. Do we? No, we don't. We don't have time to be patient because if I'm patient, I'm going to be late because we're like, oh, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. And we just go, go, go until pow. Right? Man, I'm going to tell you, this is embarrassing. But I went to, to this men's breakfast this morning. It starts at 7, and I set two alarm clocks because I'm supposed to be starting to speak at these things every other, uh, week, every other Sunday, and they start at 7. So I set my alarm for 5.45. I had two of them. They went off. I'm up. I even shaved the night before. I'm like, I don't want to be late. Good first impression. I get there, and I'm like, oh, this is, I'm going to be fine. I leave my house at 6.20. It ought to take me 25 minutes. I decided that the way I had been going was too long. And so I decided I'd go with a little shortcut. Well, I turned on the wrong road, which got me in a mess. And then have you ever been driving and you just say, well, you know, I know I'm not going in the right direction now, but that way's west. And I know this, this road ought to run into the road I'm supposed to be on. And so I turn on that road. Well, like 15 minutes later, I'm still riding. I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Man, I pulled. I had to go down this little dirt driveway. I was airborne going down the little dirt driveway when I finally got there. It started at 7. I walked in at 7 o'clock. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I was was so worried. But so many of us live our lives that way, that we're so stretched time-wise. We're so stretched financially. We're so stretched that our entire life is lived in that anxiety that anxious place of wondering what is going to make this thing pop. And you know, if this thing popped right now, Jesus, please don't let it pop. But if it popped, it would hurt. And when things pop in our life, it hurts because we've got nothing, we've got no room. We have harvested our fields to the edge and we've got to get to the place where we're no longer doing that. Listen to this scripture. This is a lot of scripture today, but I want you to hear it. Genesis 26, 17 through 22. Listen to this. 26, 17 through 22, it says, this is Isaac, this is Jacob's father. Um, He was blessed by God. Everything he owns is starting to explode. I mean, like in a good way, like awesome things are happening. Their sheep are multiplying. They're getting more people working for him. It's it's an awesome time for Isaac. It says, so Isaac moved away from there because Abimelech, this Philistine king, said, you're too powerful. You got to go. That's not in that scripture. I added that. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham 
Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the well and, re and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. The King James Version translates that we will be fruitful in the land. See, Rehoboth means room. So here these people are. They're becoming powerful. They're becoming, they're, God's blessing them. But they go and they're trying to, to, to grow and trying to produce fruit for, for, for God. They, you know, God's just pouring out his blessing upon them. But everywhere they go and they try to dig a well, they're being oppressed. They're being, they're, they're being pressed from every side. And they're like, we can't flourish here. What are we going to So they keep moving. And finally, they come to a place where they dig a well, and they say, look, there's room here. And now we will be fruitful. Listen, God is calling us to leave room for him so that we can be fruitful. One of the problems we have as Christians is we live our lives so far to the edge that God can't bless our lives. We, can't, we don't have time for the fruit of the Spirit. Because if we slack up one bit, we're in trouble. The devil's greatest lie for the American church and the Christians in the United States is this. He, he's not pushing us totally over the edge because he likes to watch us run like a hamster on one of those wheels. And so he's, he's putting this thing in front of us that says, listen, you're okay. You're okay. If you'll just keep the pace you're on right now, you'll be okay. And so we spend our whole life just running as hard as we can, 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 trying to keep that pace so that we can maintain the life that we're living. And some of us need to back away and leave some room for God. We went and had an ultrasound when Susan first found out she's pregnant with our third child. Went and had an ultrasound at six and a half weeks. I think I've told you this before. We saw the heartbeat absolutely incredible. You know, to see a heartbeat at six and a half weeks is amazing. But we were sitting there, and Susan looked, and, and she saw this little white thing around this little baby. And she said, what's that white thing? And she said, that's the placenta beginning to form. And, and, you know, the placenta's there, and, and I, you know, I don't know all the medical stuff, but it protects the baby, it feeds the baby, all this good stuff, all these good things happen from the placenta. And I thought about it, I thought about how cool is that, that God puts this little place, this little thing around this little baby to protect it. But, you know, God wants to do the same thing for us. He wants to do the same thing, and we, we are in the center of God's heart. Then we begin to have this room around us, that we can grow. And when things come and bumps come and things hit us and things begin to stretch a little bit, we're okay because there's room. But we got to get to a place where we can actually produce fruit, be fruitful, and, and begin to multiply. See, there's a thing that Genesis says in chapter 1, and it's absolutely amazing to me. It says, and why, why, why it would be there other, for other, any, blah, blah. wow, okay, slow down. Why it would be there for any other reason, I don't know. But it says in Genesis chapter 1, when God made the plants, when God made the, the fruit, it says that the seed of the fruit was contained in the fruit. Isn't that awesome? So that God was already preparing for how things would multiply. So that when that fruit came and hit the ground, that seed would be there and it would begin to multiply. And you know, one cool thing about like an apple, it's got more seed in it than, than just one. 
And so it begins to hit, it begins to multiply. The point of this is, listen, when we begin to produce the fruit of God, God uses that fruit to plant a seed in the lives of other people so that there can be multiplication, right? But nobody wants to be around a stingy, grumpy, moody, irritable, mean Christian. Nobody wants that fruit. We can get that fruit every day on our own, right? God wants to do something supernatural in our lives I'm kind of stepping on my own toes a little bit there. But God wants to do something supernatural in our lives to change our hearts to begin to produce fruit in the kingdom. Now listen, we're going to wrap up one more scripture. I want to keep you all day. But I do want to share, I think this is important because I just, I see us living so much in this um, place where, where we are deceived to think that this is what life is all about. I believe we have barely scratched the surface of the life that God wants us to have in him. Um, the Bible says that, that it's from our heart that good or bad things come. Jesus said it's from out of the heart that, that good or bad come. Jesus said that you can judge a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so Jesus begins to tell us this. So if this is what God wants us to do is to produce spiritual fruit for the kingdom of God. We need to know why it is that we are either producing fruit or we aren't producing fruit. So I want to read to you Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read a little bit here. Stay with me, and then we're going to wrap up real quick, I promise. Matthew 13, 1 through 9, 13, 8 through 23. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. And then in verse 18, listen to then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So there's the heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since it has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecutions come because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but he, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. See, I believe this scripture is so important because I believe we all, everybody in this room fits in one place or the other in these four types of soil. And the soil is symbolic. It represents our heart so that the word of God is being sown into our heart. And so when we look at this scripture, there's really only four possibilities. One of them is this. One of them is that you are good soil. Your heart is good. It is ready to receive this, the seed, the word of God, so that you can produce fruit. And it says 30, 60, 100 times. Remember, there's more seed in that fruit than just the one 
Um, there's one. So it begins to produce a harvest that's even greater. God wants to use you to produce a harvest for his kingdom, which is awesome. The next thing is this. He says, listen, there's a, there's a certain heart that when you scatter the seed, it just kind of sits there. And, and the birds of the air, they come and they get it and they eat it and they devour it. And it never even begins to grow. I don't know. Have, how many of you have ever, uh, most of you live in South Georgia, so I'm sure you've probably done this at some point in time. You've been down a dirt road in the summertime around here. It's really soft, right, and mushy? No, it's not. It's really hard and dusty, right? It's like, I mean, it's, you might as well be on pavement, and then somehow it gets these little ripples in it, you know, the little, like, looks like a little washboard thing, so you're riding, you're like, <laughs> you know, everything's falling off your dashboard. It's all, everything's falling off, going, going crazy. Well, this is what Jesus was talking about, is that type of, of road, that type of path. There, the paths in that day would have been worn down with animal traffic. They'd have been worn down with people walking on them, and it was hard. And he's saying, listen, some of you can't receive the truth because you're hard-hearted. See, one of the definitions of hoodwinked is to be blind to the truth, to be blind to the truth. And there are people in this room right now who you came in here hard-hearted, probably didn't even want to come. Somebody drug you by your hair to get you here. Basically, some of you don't have hair, but they drug you by something to get you in here. And so they, they got you here, and you're hard-hearted. And you don't want to receive the truth. In fact, you probably sit there and say, how dare him try to tell me how I should live my life. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm telling you the truth of the word of God. And so we come here, and some people are hard-hearted. They can't even begin to receive the truth. They can't hear the truth. John 8 says that the devil's a liar. And we need to realize that the devil, and for many of us, we're hearing that voice. We're not listening to the voice of our Heavenly Father. We're not listening to the voice of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. We don't hear that. What we hear is our own way, and we're missing the entire point of life. We're missing the abundant life that God wants us to have. We are hoodwinked to the point that the devil is picking our pocket. And I'm telling you, if you will come to the truth of God's word, that Jesus is who he says he is, and begin to live your life for Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to stand up and say, this is it. I'm no longer doing this. I'm living a different life. And that is what God calls us to. The next thing is this. The next soil was rocky soil. And in and, and that day, the ground was, was, there were a lot of places where it would appear to be good soil. And, and, but underneath the very surface of that soil was a bed of limestone, was a bed of limestone. And so what would happen is that seed would hit that soil and it would go down a little bit and it began to grow up. And man, it would look great and it would be cool. But see, the problem was it had no root. There was no root to it. It couldn't go very deep because it would hit that limestone bed. And so what would happen is, is, is it would look wonderful, but the sun would come up. It would get hot. I planted some sod in our yard. and Boy, it looked really good for a while. And then I was watering it, and it was pretty, and it was clean, and I was all excited about it. And then when it started getting really hot, I started noticing that it was just sort of getting all crusty and hard and brown. And what was happening is it wasn't getting enough water. It needed more water because it, at that point it had no root down in the ground to draw up the water. And so Jesus is saying some of you had started out great. Some of you had been living your life for God and for Jesus, but now you've gotten to this point where, where you're just dead on the inside. The sun's come up, and it's, it's just withered. It's just withered. 
that fruit, that plant, what God was trying to grow up in you. Maybe it's because you've been pressed on every side by everything that you can possibly imagine, whether it's work or kids or wife or husband or family, whatever it might be, and you just feel pressed. But see, Paul said he was pressed but not crushed. So that when we're in God, there's this place around us where being pressed is, it, we, we can deal with it. We can make it. Even when things aren't going perfect, we've got some room where God is cushioning us, where he surrounds us. And so we come to this place where we need to recognize that some of us are like the rocky soil. Some of us have, have gotten to a place where we, at one time, were a growing, thriving plant, but we didn't allow any roots to grow deep. One of the definitions of hoodwink is to conceal or hide. And see, some of us come to church, and it's in every church. People come to church every Sunday trying to put on this face like everything's okay, like they are loving God, and on the inside they are absolutely dead because what was there has withered and died. But God would love to breathe new life into you and to begin to raise you back up and produce fruit through your life. So that we come to a place, I know for me in my life, man, for six months when I was in high school, boy, I found Jesus. I was like, woohoo! I was loving God. I was loving Jesus. And you know, the things that began to happen though was I, I wasn't in the Word. I, I wasn't finding out who God was, who God was calling me to be because I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't spending much time in prayer. I was on this emotional high. And see, it's fine, God. I think when you come into contact with the God of the universe, it's emotional, right? But we can't live off of emotion. We live off of the fact that I know I've been called by my Savior. See, this is, this is the truth in my life. See, I don't serve Jesus because I preach. I preach because I serve Jesus. See, if, if I wasn't preaching, I'd still be in church on Sunday because there's something that happened in my heart. I know that if I get away from the body of believers, if I get away from you guys, I can't make it, right? And you're the same way. When we're not consistently around other believers, not in the Word, not praying, we can't make it. The next one was the, uh, the seed and the thorn. See, there's nothing wrong necessarily with the soil. It's what's around the soil. Susan and I have this um, plant, this tree, and we like to work in the yard, do stuff, try to make it look pretty. I just like to take things that, you know, don't look so great and then make them look pretty. I, I don't know. I don't know what it, maybe not pretty is not a very guy word, but make them look nice, you know, whether it's building something, whatever it might be. But, but I love doing it. So we work in the yard a good bit. One year we went and we bought um, a plant to go in this one section of our yard because this lady told us we should. And, and it was called a weeping yupon. Anybody ever heard of a weeping, we've heard of like weeping will, a weeping yupon. Uh, we hate that tree now, but for years, for years, we would, uh, we, we planted this tree and it was supposed to shoot up and like provide some shade. And, and we're sitting there and we're like, we got a dud. It's not growing. And we just looked, it was just, it was just there. It, it, it just soaked up water, but it never grew, you know, and it was just there. And so one day we're sitting there looking at it and we're like, man, we need to do something with this tree. It's just not growing. I mean, year after, probably three years, and it was still the same size. And we get down and we start looking at it. And we're like, what are those red things around part of it? And what it was, was they had, you know, in the shipping and everything, they had tied like string around this thing to hold it together. And, and, and so we're looking at it, we're like, what is that? So we go and get some scissors and cut those things off. Now this thing's taller than our house. The problem was not the tree, the problem was us. We were too stupid to remove the things from around the tree so that it could grow. And that's the way our lives are a lot of times. 
We've got these things that are just constricting us, that are just tying us up, that are binding us up so that we can't flourish, that we can't be fruitful, that we can't grow. In so many ways, we're like that. We, we let all these other things, see, it was the thorns that came up and began to choke it out. We let all of these other things begin to get into our lives. And it is, though, listen, it, it's that choking out. It is as though the devil has his foot on the American church and the American Christian because of all the other things we want out of life. And he is just choking the life out of us because of all the stuff that we deem to be so important. We become like this thorny soul. That's not what God desires for us. God desires that we would be set free and flourish. It is the most crazy thought in the world. But when you come into the embrace of God, when he holds you, when you live in that embrace, it sets you free. It's the exact opposite of what we would think. But when you are held by God in that embrace, it sets you free. So we've got to begin to see ourselves in one of these four places. The cool thing is, no matter where you are today, God wants you to be like that fourth soul, that last one mentioned in Matthew, that we produce a harvest, that our lives are fruitful, but we've got to come out of the deception that we're living under. We've got to get to a place where we're living for God, where we're, we're set free to flourish. We've given ourselves room to grow and to produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. All right? Good? Let's stand up and we'll pray.